Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Catherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill. You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So one of the most unique parts about being a therapist is that we bring in our own ish into the therapy room, even if it's irrelevant to what the client's talking about. 
Like if we had a rough day or we just had a, a, a huge argument with our partner, as much as we want to think we leave it outside the room, some of it comes in with us, no matter if it's, you know, purposeful or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's part of our humanness. It's a part of what we do. And today we're going to hear from Ariana and we're going to hear how her own stuff came into the therapy room at the height of the pandemic, being virtual. So many different factors went into this one, but it is an incredible story that we cannot wait for you all to hear. But before we hear her story, I wanted to read another amazing review really quickly because again, they mean so much to Catherine and I. We read every single one. They help out the podcast so much. So this one is from Erin Ah, and she said that, or they said that this podcast is a part of my self-care. It is so needed in our community. It's raw, honest, and relatable. At times, this profession can feel very alone with the hours, the stories, and the work. This podcast bridges the gap. The relatable stories normalize the questions that swirl in our head. Again, so, so meaningful. And actually, it kind of relates to the story we're sharing today, which was not intentional. (laughs) No, and thank you, Erin. Those reviews mean so much. And a huge thank you to Allie for taking the time to monitor our reviews. And she screenshots each one of them and texts them to me. And it brings so much joy throughout my day. So Mm -hmm. just know if you write us a review, we're definitely texting about you and raving. (laughs) So, (laughs) and don't forget (laughs) too, Erin, if you're hearing this, we do offer a 15 minute consultation for any reviews that we do read on the podcast with Catherine and I to talk about really anything, clinical work, podcasting, network, Career. anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're hearing this, Erin, please message us on Instagram, um, a bad therapist pod, or you can email us. We would love to chat with you. And again, thank you so much. And before we get into Ariana's story, this is just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for ethical guidance, clinical consultation, or therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 29 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Ariana, welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist? Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. And before we get into your story today, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? So my name is Ariana Galanti. Um, I am an LMSW. I am working towards my LCSW, hopefully in a year, almost there. Um, I work a lot with um, trauma, grief, uh, anxiety. Um, I take a very insight-oriented approach. Um, and one day, hopefully, can open up my own solo practice. So let's hope we can get there efficiently and smoothly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No doubt. I love private practice too. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all do at some point or another. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's dive into it. Ariana, tell yeah. us what was the story that made you ask yourself if you were about therapist? Okay, let's get into it. So, um, so I first, uh, for some brief backgrounds, I began, um, kind of freshly grieving um, the passing of my grandmother. Uh, she was like a mother to me and also graduated on the height of COVID and began right right in the middle of COVID, right in the thick of it. So that was quite challenging. Um, and that came with a lot of complexities, um, working in the virtual world. So with that all kind of compacted right all together already, um, up until March of 2022, my aunt passed by suicide. So it was quite, um, just quite a heavy uh, two years. I struggle a lot with traumatic grief myself. Um, so it was just a lot to work with while being present for others during COVID. We all can collectively say how difficult this, this all mm-hmm. really was. Um, 
and also a lot of appreciation gratitude. So for the work it, it did for us and the, and the clinical experience I've gained. Um, but so up until right March, 2022, right after that, um, I had a new client. So this was with the agency I work with and um, I'm with the private practice in an agency. So they just kind of give you clients, you know, they're just mm-hmm. like here, mm-hmm. work with this. Mm-hmm. So this client um, came to session and, you know, did the intake, was just asking all the questions. And I got up to the question of um, any pet, any history of past or present suicide ideations, intent or plan or behaviors. Um, and I immediately started getting very uh, nervous because I got this client right the, the month right after March. So it was just still fresh. It was mm-hmm. new. Um, and she was uh, basically kind of telling me there was a history. Um, she in the past had a plan. Um, so immediately just alarms kind of going off. And my first thought was, oh my God, am I literally the first thought was, am I a bad therapist for having so much hesitation to work with this person? Mm -hmm. And that made me feel so guilty, you know, so much, uh, so much shame for that, you know? And so I immediately started going, okay, let's just kind of see where this goes. So I met a few more times and um, I started noticing, I don't think this is actually even appropriate, I think, for the level of care that I can provide for what I was seeing, just the symptom presentation and stuff like that. So um, now I started having to uh, think to myself, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do moving forward with this? Um, I was kind of going to friends that are therapists, just trying to inquire with my supervisor. And um, I came to the idea, okay, I think I think I might have to consider referring this person out because um, it didn't feel ethically appropriate for me. You know, I felt that I wasn't emotionally kind of, I think, uh, ready at that point, especially with my grief, right, to move forward with this. Um, so it brought up just a lot of my own uh, counter-transference, my own grief. And I would go like week by week in between seeing her again, like getting so much anxiety. And I was like, okay, I shouldn't be mm-hmm. feeling this much anxiety. So what ended up happening was that um, upon, I think it was our fourth session, I was going to start presenting the idea of, okay, let's start thinking about um, our options on what our, what our care plan, care plan, excuse me, can look like moving forward. Um, and immediately don't leave me. Don't make me leave you. Mm. Don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. And I, I did not know what to do. Um, it was so heavy. Um, and yeah, so uh, her mom ended up calling the agency after mm-hmm. I started kind of think, exploring options. And she also was over 18, by the way. Oh, so man. it was just really intense. And uh, yeah, that's that was a lot <laughs> to kind of um, just try to manage and navigate. And mm-hmm. it made me feel like a really bad therapist for doing so you- that. Yeah. So here you are recognizing that this therapist, I have so many questions because one, I want to hear more about, you know, going, going and having to deliver therapy while still in an active grief stage, not only the grief, but also then treating clients who are dealing with suicidal ideation and grieving the loss of your aunt from suicide, um, who died by suicide. And, you know, I can't help but think, you're doing the right thing by saying this, this is not good for me. This is not good for the client. The client can get better care. But then the intense pushback of don't leave me. I think, you know, I know what's best for me. And they're telling you what's best for me is to stay with you. 
Uh That is that compounding, you know, extra layer of guilt and shame, right? There's enough guilt and shame around referring out because of our own transference. Mm -hmm. We talk about that on the network all the time. Um, But then getting the pushback, right? Right. What was the, what was the biggest source of, I guess, guilt, shame, or feeling like a bad therapist out of all of this? Is it the need to refer out? Is it the pushback? (laughs) Where, where was the biggest trigger? I, I really appreciate that question. Thank you. Um, oh gosh, let's see. The, honestly, the biggest the biggest trigger for me was, and this is a little bit like I even feel like a bad therapist saying this right now. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest one was was feeling like I wasn't I wasn't equipped to work with it. Um, um, under that though, the, the biggest foundation under that though, especially is um, if something were to happen. <clears throat> How would I, how would I, how would I move past that? I honestly, right. if, if something were to, right, I feel like, what would that look like for my career moving forward? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I don't know. I think I, uh, I was debating if I had to potentially carry that responsibility. And as somebody who struggled with my own traumatic grief um, and fears of abandonment and stuff like that, yeah. uh, that was the biggest one too. I didn't want to have her feel that way. And that was really a lot to kind of carry. That was the biggest trigger. So it was this push of, I want to help her. I don't want to abandon her, but mm-hmm. I am operating from a place of fear here. Exactly. And when we, you know, operate from a place of fear in the clinical room, you know, that leads to a different path of decision-making, a clinical decision-making than yeah. would not operating from that, that, that catastrophic, catastrophic, what is ah? I can't say it. What's the word? Totally catastrophizing. Catastrophizing. Oh, catastrophizing. Yes, Cata- catastrophizing. <laughs> it's a, we're yeah. recording this on a Friday morning. So yes, yes we are. My cup of um, coffee. <laughs> yeah. So because you just had experienced that loss of your aunt, of course yeah. your head went to the worst case scenario with your client. Immediately, immediately, my automatic thought right was mm-hmm. like that was my trauma brain too. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like, oh my god, threat! Let's how do we survive this? How do we mm-hmm. how do we get yeah. out of this to reach emotional safety again? And that yeah. was really like intense. Yeah. Well, I feel yeah. like of course it goes without saying. I know you said even now you're questioning if you're a bad therapist. Like, of course <laughs> you are not a bad therapist. Like this Thank is you. all about normalizing <laughs> our experiences as providers and the yes. difficult places that we get put in. Um, now yeah. I'm. It is interesting because I can see why, like you said, that trauma brain like would jump to like something's going to happen and it's going to be my fault, right? But from an outsider perspective, sitting here talking you, to you about it, like it wasn't like you were ghosting the client, right? Like you were trying oh. to refer them out, you were actively continuing to still see them, trying to find a higher level of care. Plus, I feel like we have this little piece we haven't really touched on is that you felt mm-hmm. like it actually wasn't even an appropriate level of care anyways. Mm-hmm. But of course- yeah transference is like shining bright in the front. Um, (laughs) How did you navigate that piece of like really kind of recognizing that it might not be the appropriate level of care, but there's also countertransference. So how did you try to navigate that? Like in telling them, was there any self-disclosure? How did you talk to the client about it? Thank you so. I I love all these questions, guys. <laughs> really, I really appreciate it. I love this so much. Um, no, uh, well, well, for the first part, so noticing that it wasn't the uh, appropriate level of care. So, like my, oof. I think honestly, I'll, you know, okay. <laughs> Sorry, my brain is like going so many different directions. 
So you know how, right, like during uh, the height of COVID, um, we all were seeing this uh, extensive mental health crisis, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially uh, among, let's say, adolescent young adults. Yes. Um, and so I've kind of personally moved away from working with the pediatric population, just like under 18, honestly, um, just because I'm going to be honest, parents, like I just couldn't, you know, <laughs> um, oh, a non-supportive environments being home. <laughs> like, so, so from that, and I think I'm um, honestly having to make a lot of like just uh, crisis calls and navigating such an intense time that really prepared me for being able to recognize immediately when something wasn't really appropriate. Mm. Um, and, and when I also say appropriate, like we don't have psychiatrists on our team. I mean, I think personally, I'm going to speak, um, my opinion is like getting in touch with psychiatrists. I feel like sometimes it's getting in touch with the Pope. Like it's really, yeah. it's really <laughs> difficult. That's a really great comparison. <laughs> and you know, and there's so, so many amazing ones. And when I speak with them, I'm like, thank you so much for answering and listening. Um, so, so, so we didn't have that, right. That wasn't readily available. Um, you know, it's not like I could go down the hallway and be like, Hey mm -hmm. doctor, so-and-so, this is what I'm seeing. What can we do about this? Um, so that was a big barrier. Um, the second barrier was honestly as well. Um, I felt like she knew more in person. Mm -hmm. I think that that was also a big one. Um, but also to the, this is the big one um, that I observed, I don't know, was the normalization of how invasive and how constant um, the ideations were. Mm -hmm. um, any situation that was even slightly distressing, the first automatic thought was, I need mm -hmm. to escape. I want to do something about this. Hence, mm -hmm. I want to harm myself. I want to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, f further carry out this potential plan mm -hmm. I've made in the past. So that immediately was like, this wasn't really appropriate um, mm -hmm. for what I at least can provide. And now the other component was, I if I'm not emotionally equipped, and I, when I say equipped, you know, ready, I'm not prepared. This is still very heavy. I cannot provide mm -hmm. the appropriate clinical care because my own emotions are really coming to the forefront, and that's not fair. That's mm -hmm. not fair to her. So I, um, those are the big two indicators for me. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. As a way to say a huge thank you for all of you listening and supporting Am I Bad Therapist across this whole year, Allie and I wanted to do something really fun and really special for the Am I Bad Therapist community. And so we have a vision board workshop for therapists that we will be hosting for all of you January 6th. What better way to kick off the new year than with your two favorite bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, learning how to vision board for you and your clients. Yes, we are so excited to bring this to you all. And it is a free workshop that we are going to be having together. We're going to post the link for registration in the show notes, of course. And we're going to be learning lots of things about vision boarding. We're going to learn about the benefits of it for both inside and outside the therapy room. We're going to learn about different types of vision boards, such as a vision board calendar, physical versus digital vision boards, um, how to use them as a clinical intervention with your clients how to use it as a form of personal self-care. And we are going to be creating a digital vision board together during the workshop. 
So if you want to spend some time with Allie and myself in the new year, setting our goals, learning more about vision boarding for inside and outside the therapy room, make sure you check out the show notes. The registration link is there. Totally free. It's our way to say thank you to you. And if you can't make the live event and sit with us in person, then no problem. You're going to get a recording sent to your email as soon as it's finished. So go to the show notes, register, and we will see you January 6th. We are so grateful for our sponsors today, Mindspace TV. Yes, we are so excited. Mindspace TV was generous enough to let us test out their new platform, and they have incredible resources for therapists. It's amazing for telehealth. I really spent a lot of time poking around, and not only do they have videos that we can share directly with our clients, each video has a handout. So there are so many benefits um, that I really just loved seeing so much. Mindspace TV is the perfect resource for those of you telehealth therapists who are struggling to find collaborative resources to use with your clients across that telehealth distance. Not only is Mindspace TV generously supporting Am I a Bad Therapist so we can come to your earbuds every week, but they set up an exclusive 10% off code for any of our listeners who want to try out Mindspace TV. Just go to their website and plug in the code FRIENDS10 at MSTV at checkout to get your 10% off. We have all those details listed in the show notes, and let's hear from Mindspace TV themselves. Hi, I'm David over at MindspaceTV.com. We have just launched an exciting library of video resources and accompanying handouts that help therapists engage with their clients in a new and exciting way. Our evidence-based resources are suitable for individual sessions, group sessions, and telehealth sessions. We also have a library of self-care video resources so therapists can take better care of themselves and avoid burnout. The best news is that we have a selection of free videos and handouts you can trial now with no payment required. Head on over to mindspacetv.com today. And now back to the show. So I know this is a this is a hypothetical question because we can't go back in time and this is not what right. happened. But <laughs> could you just speak to, do you think you would have continued with this patient or been able to continue with this patient had you not had the traumatic loss of your aunt like a month prior? Um, honestly, I, I think we would have had more time together. Okay. But I still feel at one mm-hmm. point or another, just because of what I was seeing in regards to clinical directive and treatment, um, I still would have um, ended yeah. up saying, you know what, like, I, I think we need something else here. So even without your countertransference, this was not a good fit, but that countertransference put an extra layer of personal responsibility in there, huh? Yeah, that was honestly, I probably would have figured out the clinical stuff a little bit more down the road, yeah. but like that was like, like yeah. even in the intake, I was can't see right <laughs> below me, but I have my anxiety rings and I have my like stuffed animal care, you know, for very tough <laughs> um, sessions. And I was already grabbing for it. Like in the first like 30 minutes. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. Is this me? Is this like what's happening here? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how was, tell us about your agency that you worked for? Were they supportive of this transfer? How were you supported in getting what you needed for the client and yourself? Oof. Okay. So, 
I was waiting for that part. I even had that in my little bullet notes. Um, <laughs> so I thank you for saying that and asking that. Um, so oof, I, I, how do I put this? Um, it was not, uh, I had to advocate basically mm-hmm. for better supervision. It was non-existent. Um, ethically speaking, I did not feel comfortable continuing um, practicing without um, having that supervision because I'm an LMSW in New York State. You need mm-hmm. to be, you know, supervised directly. And um, I felt very alone, honestly, in it. And I was terrified. And mm-hmm. so that was not okay. That was not cool. Um, and I only got like a 10-minute phone call when I needed guidance. So... I had to, luckily with the other, with the other place that I work with, because of my experience there, um, I was able to take that and apply it. See, you had support and supervision at your second site that you were able to rely on for support for a client from your first site because you were not getting that support or supervision there. Did your first site, the site where this client uh, came from, did did your, did your site know about your recent traumatic loss? Did they have any awareness of what you were going through as a clinician, you know, a clinician in training? I will, I will personally say they didn't because I wasn't even getting communication. So there was no opportunity for them to know. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. So, um, so that was a doozy. <laughs> How isolating. But How isolating was. that must have felt. Well, it, I was thinking was. Too, like compounded on top of like COVID isolation. Like I know, yeah. like during COVID, I felt so alone as a therapist, just yeah. in general. And then I can't imagine like, again, that was kind of existing for so many of us. And then plus this situation that made you feel even further isolated, like yeah. combined it, I mean, alone, it would have felt awful, but combined, I can't imagine how that felt. It, yeah, it, it was really kind of scary for me. And that's also when I knew too, you know what, like, and this is, um, now that you mentioned it, you're bringing back a lost memory quickly from that time. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, hello, welcome. Um, it was basically me thinking to myself, and also since I'm not getting that real direct, like hands-on, like nurturing supervision that I think we all rightfully deserve, um, that um, even that was an extra component as to why I think, yes, we need to move forward in um, this person's mm-hmm. uh, client's care plan. Yeah. Being a clinician (laughs) comes with so many, I think I underestimated the amount of fork in the roads that we as clinicians (laughs) have to decide what path to take either with our own career or with our own clients or with, you know, just our own passions in life. There's so many forks in the road clinically. And this was a big one that you had so much weighing on both sides of either option. And I just really feel for you as a student, you know, during COVID and then get, you you know, getting your clinical experience still during, you know, the aftermath of COVID and, and, and the isolation and needing to make that decision. What was it like to make this decision you know, virtually, <laughs> pun intended, oh. on your own. <laughs> oh, we love the wordplay. Um, no, it was it was honestly really scary. Like I was, yeah. um, uh, so like I carry like so much stress. Like I mean, many of us, I'm sure, but like on in my neck and like in my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And the second every time I would meet, you know, like stressful um, sessions, you leave going, "Woo, okay." Like I need to just decompress before the ten minutes of jumping into my next. Um, so like I, oh, you can't see behind me. I have like a foam roller, and I needed to like roll on it because all the knots in my back from the accumulation of stress, feeling alone mm-hmm. and feeling so isolated, and having to make um, this heavy decision while still simultaneously balancing 
my own triggers and what was coming up for me. Um, also, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I forgot to also touch upon this point when you mentioned self-disclosure um, in regards to how I um, presented this to the client. Um, I just remember that part. I'm sorry. I left oh, that I asked out. you four questions at once. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, um, that's the ADHD brain trying to go whoop. Real, real side tidbit here. Um, I, um, I also, I did self-disclose. I did um, very, very gently self-disclose a bit um, when I was also mentioning the need um, to refer out. I even provided, of course, I wasn't like, bye. I provided a whole list of places um, that would be much more appropriate level of care. Um, where there, And I kept framing it this way, where there's a psychiatrist and a therapist under the same roof. Mm-hmm. Like I kept... I kept reiterating that point, probably to a point where it was like, all right, shut up, Um, (laughs) (laughs) like enough. Um, And then after that, I said, and also, you know what, I I didn't say exactly verbatim, but I just said something along the lines of, I also experienced something very close um, to to what we're discussing here. And just, I, it's, it's not, um, how do I put it? I felt that it wasn't fair to her. I just kept saying, you know, and I want to serve as that stepping stone for you. And, um, and that kind of helped soften the blow after a while. But it took a lot of like repeating, mm-hmm. a lot of a couple of sessions to gently transfer out and get used to her, um, getting getting her used to the idea of uh, going somewhere else and working with someone new. The biggest one was the rapport we had. Mm-hmm. So that was um, also big, a big component there. Yeah, of course. Well, and I have to commend you again for being so thoughtful and like intentional with your self-disclosure because it there are times when it's appropriate. And it really sounds like, again, like it's always, I mean, not always, but it can often feel a little uncomfy. Like it can just be like, again, yeah. you know, we're, we're not trying to make this about ourselves. It's about the client, but it's yeah. for this client specifically, like they needed almost like they needed that information to fully understand and like move forward with what was going yeah. on. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, thank, and I thank you for saying that too. Um, like you said, the appropriateness of like that information. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt that we did have that kind of surprisingly, right? Like that, that rapport, um, in a way where I was able to gently kind of lay it out. I even like prefaced it by saying, I don't, I, this is not my therapy session. Like I literally like said, this is not my therapy session, but I feel it's very, um, pertinent for me to, to mention this. Um, in regards to also the next steps of what we're going mm-hmm. to do moving forward. Um, and uh, and I just kept also saying, you know, like, I wouldn't feel right. I kept saying I wouldn't feel right. I wouldn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. uh, knowing ownership. that. Yeah, like I kept taking accountability. Exactly. And how did they receive it? Hmm. Like I kind of a lot – at first, of course, a lot of confusion, understandably. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. confusion. Um, and how do I put it? Um, um, there was pushback um, after her mom called um, and I had to kind of like, and, that, and that's where I got the 10 minute conversation with the supervisor. So that was that. Um, and so they just kept saying to me, my supervisor, like, you know, well, do you feel comfortable? Do you feel comfortable moving forward? Do you feel comfortable? And then I kind of kept asking like, well, what does comfortable mean? And also like comfortable at what extent, right? Because we are kind of put in a lot of uncomfortable situations. So the line's kind of blurred when it came to the word what's comfortable and what's not. If they that were makes clearly, sense. yeah, they were clearly pulling for you to say yes. But I love your clarifying question of, well, is comfort like 
my assessment of what they need is comfort, like my right. own transference. What is comfort? Like, yeah, it's yeah. The, the better question would have been: Is it appropriate for you to continue? Is it in the exactly. best interest of the client for you to continue? Is it in your best? Like, who? Like, yeah, that is a very vague administrative question. I, for sure, if for sure, I was like, um, I don't, I what? Like, <laughs> like I don't know what you mean. Like, I felt so lost. Um, but but eventually, um, eventually, uh, we were able to, of course, make that transition. But it was, um, it was just very, very difficult. But, um, I I, I was gifted with this question right before in our last uh, session together. Um, that termination time was, um, can I come back? Oh. That was one. Can How I did come that back? Feel to you. I want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to cry initially. Um, it, if anything, though, that sounds crazy. That felt um, that gave me comfort. Yeah, that gave that, me a lot of comfort. that. You did not. This person, this client, still thinks highly enough of you and your clinical work <laughs> that yeah. she would, she or he would feel comfortable coming back, or they would feel comfortable coming back. Yeah. That is it. That's a huge vote of confidence in you. And that it is a was. gift. That's a gift. I I, I really appreciate that because the imposter yeah. syndrome we all experience and um, still do, no matter how long we can be in the field. Um, for me, it's two and a half years, and I, I'm still fresh out the womb. Um, yeah. but, but that was really intense. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I. Gosh, I, I remember like at one point too, I like I had to like hold back my crying. Like that mm-hmm. was a big one too. Like I almost cried like multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. I, a tear got out. Um, but yeah, so oh, it was a lot. Of course. Well, again, I commend you for how you navigated this. It's such a tricky situation. Um, but you. what would you say? Like if there is a clinician who's listening to this and they feel like they're yeah. experiencing something similar, I mean, for any pieces of what we've touched on today, what advice would you give yeah. them about how to navigate it? Honestly, um, I think this is the first question uh, that, that we can kind of ask ourselves is, um, if I can't appropriately show up for myself right now in an emotional sense, how can I show up effectively for my clients? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and that was the biggest, I think that's the biggest uh, determinant on what to kind of do moving forward. Um, and if it kind of raises a lot more anxiety in you rather than, I guess, how do I put this? An inner knowing of what to do next with a client when you're kind of uh, stuck with an ethical dilemma like this, um, it's just kind of uh, assessing that as well. If I'm if I'm really reacting to this in an emotional way that's more triggering than effective, mm-hmm. then I I think I might need to con- reconsider what to do going forward. Because yeah. if we're feeling guilt, I think what helped me um, soften the guilt for myself during that time was I'm also a stepping stone for the right level of care. Mm. So. That, yeah. Rethinking about your role, reform, right. reframing what your role is in this client's treatment. You are not yeah. the end clinician. You are the step. I love that. Thank you. Seeing yeah. them in a, it, seeing your role in their treatment as a bigger picture. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's what I've I've had to kind of get comfortable that's with, beautiful. especially during this time, the two years of everything, yeah. graduating on Zoom, and then and then you know everything else that followed. Um, yeah. Well, I think it speaks to such a good point. Oh, sorry, Catherine. No, go right ahead. It just speaks to like, this is probably like, I feel like one of our biggest threads through this whole podcast is just like our humanness as therapists. Mm -hmm. And it 
Yeah. It almost makes us ask ourselves, like, am I a bad therapist because I'm feeling this way? It's like, well, we can't take away ourselves. Like, that is the good and the other side and the work of what we do. And again, you had to honor your humanness. And it's okay if it comes into it. It's how we navigate. It's how we handle it. And again, you kind of acknowledged it, recognized it, said, I am the stepping stone, not the final piece. And I just, again, have to learn that so much. Absolutely. I think we try to fix a lot, you know, because of this helping profession that we're in. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that's a whole other conversation <laughs> in itself. Um, we can really go forever with that. But but I think that's a big one. And um, just trying to break away from that, you know, just like this robotic kind of like blank slate that mm-hmm. we're almost kind of like trained to be in grad school, you know, and it's just kind of like there's so much more that if anything, our humanness is what makes us amazing therapists. Yes. You know, yes. at the same time rather yes. than my bad one. Yeah. Our humanness is that double-edged sword. It can elevate us to greater yeah. heights, but it also – we need to be aware of the potential pitfalls. Right? Exactly. That's a great That's way to frame that. Yeah. Ariana, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And if our listeners want to connect with you after listening to your journey, where can they find you? So they can find me on my mental health Instagram page at anxiouslyhuman. It's anxiously underscore human. On, in this, on Instagram. We will link that. And that's a great handle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. So good. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us today. So many people are going to benefit from hearing this story. And thank you for your like vulnerability, yeah. your openness, your honesty. It's just been wonderful. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that's it. The OG bad therapist, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. And are you a bad therapist and want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air For Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air For Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.